Good morning, church. So my name is Gria. I, uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a father to five children. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm, I'm also one of the elders at, at NBC. It's, I think, in that capacity that I'm here to give our, our sermon today. And it's always like a real honor to, to, to be here and, and just to get the, the chance to do it. And I was actually just talking to Les beforehand. What makes this kind of thing nerve-wracking it's actually not being in front of a group of folks. It's being in front of God. Right? There's, there's this, this weight, this different weight um, that, that comes. And so one thing that actually makes it easier for me is to just say, look, the passage that we're about to go through, it's an incredible passage. It is so good. And for me to think that I would be able to give it justice, for me to think that I would be able to have the perfect sermon, like, I won't. Right? But God... I think through the Holy Spirit in you and in me will hopefully take what I say and turn it into something that makes a difference for your life. And so if there's anything that I say that you're like, oh man, that's not quite right, great, like you should talk to me about that, but wow, go and talk to God about that and have that change your life because that's what this is about. So with that said, again, just a complete honor to be here. I'm excited about our time today. We're in our series of, uh, of Luke and uh, it's called The Good Doctor. And, uh, and the tagline for our series is Hopeful Healing for All. You know, and we're actually, we're really going to see that today. We are absolutely going to see that today. Jesus is on, is on a rescue mission to heal. And he's not only here to heal physically, uh, but also to seek and to save and to heal the lost. So as Dave said last week, chapter 7, we're in Luke chapter 7, we're actually seeing who God is on display. And we're seeing, too, that God is impartial. He heals and he saves all kinds of people. He's here to change all kinds of lives. And certainly, those that are outcast by society, right? A centurion that is, um, uh, that, that's in a foreign city, a widow, that's today, a prophet in prison, a woman whose job was to sin, so probably a prostitute, uh, these were all touched by Jesus. For the centurion servant, or what, what happened last week, Jesus has power over disease. For the widow's son, what's happening today, Jesus has power over death. For John, in prison, Jesus has power over doubt. And for the immoral woman, Jesus has power over sin. Today, we're actually going to see what I think is a I mean, all miracles are incredible, but as I read this one, I think it's just going to be perhaps, like, in my opinion, one of the greatest miracles that, um, that we read about in the, in the Bible. Though, again, I'm not, I don't want to put up which miracle is greater debate on display. It's an it's a amazing miracle that we're going to read about. We're going to pray, we're going to dive in, and, um, and the, way, the way we'll do that is we're going to, is we're going to take a few passes at the passage. So we're going to read it, and we're going to first look at sort of what's easy to see. When you just read it first time, what's easy to see? We're then going to uh, go read it again, go a little bit deeper, read it again, and go even deeper, and then we'll wrap up. So that's how things are going are gonna, to are gonna look like. Let me pray, and then I have something for the children. Let's pray first. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be here and to, and to talk about the word that you've revealed to us um, and to talk about what is not a story, 
uh, as in fiction, but uh, truth as in something that, that happened. Um, and so I pray that uh, as we go through uh, your word today, Lord, you, it would change us. I pray that my words would be your words, and I pray that um, you would be working in, uh, in everyone's hearts uh, as, we, as we go through today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we jump in, this is the first Sunday of the month, okay? And what that means is that children stay in, uh, in service with us. And so before we read the passage every time today, I'm going to have uh, a bit of a quiz for our children since, I don't know, it just felt right. So it's an easy question, but there's candy that comes along with it. And so, so the first question, actually, you get like your pick. And then, you know, the last question, you kind of get the leftover. But I think, like, as I looked at what candy to pick, I thought, you know, these are things that I would, like, I would actually eat. And so, so I bought them. Uh, yeah, Eli's like, yeah, okay. Now, now I'm in it, now I'm in it. <laughs> okay, so it'll just be one question. And, and I'll start kind of with the younger ages and sort of get older and older. Yeah. So, oh, and remember, you put your hand up, right? Don't shout out the answer. So let's see. The first question. Before we jump into the passage, what is our current sermon series called? Oh, uh, good the good doctor. That's right. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Which one would you like? There you go. <laughs> we should do this for the adults, I think. Too. <laughs> oh man. All right, more, more coming. There's more. That, that, that was one question. Just kind of warming up. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 7, uh, verses 11 through 17. And here we go. And it goes like this. Uh, Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man <laughs> sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And... God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the, all the surrounding country. Amazing. So um, let's do, we're going to jump in. We're going to do, like, like I said, we're going to uh, take a first look, a bit of an outsider point of view. And what I mean by that is, like, what can be plainly seen? As, you know, if you're there, just kind of in the crowd looking around, what can you really easily see? We'll do another look where, where it's more so, not just if you're somewhere on the outside, but what if you're more sort of on the, in, on the inside? And as we read the passage, what is it telling us? Kind of what's, what's a, little bit of, a little bit deeper? And then third, we're going we're gonna to read again and, uh, and look at how does it apply to today? Um, and again, and, and get even deeper with it all. So with that as our plan, uh, let's just say a few things about that passage that make it to just sort of just jump out there plainly obvious. So... One thing, in my opinion, plainly obvious, like this was a funeral, right? The crowd was gathered, and there was mourning there. And, and one thing to say about funerals uh, in that time, so it would have taken a while 
uh, and this would be important for us to know, but it would have taken a while to go from the point of death, of, of the son's death, to when the procession happened. Even though it could have been the same day, but many hours for sure would have passed because there were preparations that would have happened to, to the body. And we'll talk about those in a, in a sec as well. But for now, this man was not sick. He was dead. Okay? It's really important. It's obvious. Really important. You know, and because like, as soon as death was certain, the, the, the deceased eyes would be closed, the corpse would be washed, right? So the people that would be in contact with, you know, with the body and they would know. Often perfumes or ointment would be used for the washing. Um, unlike in the picture, I couldn't find a better picture. Unlike in the picture, the body was actually wrapped. It wasn't a coffin. The body would have just been wrapped in cloth and, uh, and that's how it would have been, would have been carried along. And so as the corpse would be carried in this procession towards the, the place of burial, there would be friends, neighbors, relatives. And some texts actually suggest that uh, sometimes, so as they would go along, sometimes they would stop to make lamentation uh, for the dead, and then, you know, and then things would continue. So there's obviously a funeral. The person is obviously dead. You know, there's, of course, a lot of, uh, a lot of sadness that, go, that goes along with that. What happens is that Jesus then comes and he says to the widow not to weep. The, again, anyone could see that there was there. Jesus is there and he says, do not weep. And I think, man, like, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard for the mother to, to not weep and, and Jesus to come along. He knows the state of her emotions and yet he knows what he's about to do. Right? So, so he wasn't making it up on the go. He knew that what was about to happen at this morning would be turned into joy. And so, uh, so to me, Psalm 30 verse 11 comes to mind. You've turned my mourning into dancing. Jesus knows that this is about to happen. But that's getting a little bit deeper. But just coming back to, the, to what can be plainly seen, the relationship of the mother to the child was there for all to see. Right? It was no mystery. This was the mother and loved her only child. All of this was happening on, uh, on a bier. This is uh, a frame or a stand on which the, the corpse or the coffin w- uh, would be placed on. Uh, in, the case, in this case, the, not the coffin, but the corpse. And uh, it's basically like a cart that was being pushed along. So that's what was going to happen. This cart was being pushed along you know, with the body on top of it. And I think what happens next, again, even to the, to the passing eye, is, uh, is absolutely incredible. So Jesus comes and he... Touched, he touches the beer, and people stood still, and there were a few things going on here, because they would have marveled that Jesus, a rabbi, would come and touch what most would have deemed as uh, polluted, what most would have deemed as unclean. In Numbers, uh, in Numbers chapter 19, uh, so in the Old Testament law, it says, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died, and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel." Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Okay, so it was pollution for the living to touch 
the beer or you know a wrist attaching the person that was um, were, were, uh, that had passed away. So of course, people would be surprised. They would be thinking, "Man, I, you know, Jesus touching this is at the at the very least strange and should be taken note of." But of course, Jesus was not unclean after touching and uh, and stopping the procession. And what happens next? Jesus stops things, and as a reminder, he 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 said to the widow, "Do not weep," and he says. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. That's incredible. Like, even, like, again, just, just a cursory read of our passage, right? As you look at it, you can't stop you, you, and, and just say, wow, like, using only words. Like, nobody's ever seen this before. Like, using only words, Jesus raises someone from the dead. So imagine you were there. Right? Imagine you're the one, one of the people that prepared the body, right? Like, as, as I mentioned, like, you would have prepared the body, washed or closed the eyes. It's like, I've, like, you, or imagine even more so that you are the mother, right? And, uh, and your only son, who has been dead for many hours by now, maybe much longer, is brought back to life. The words of Jesus now to the mother make sense, right? Do not weep. Psalm 30 just comes to life. Morning would be turning to dancing. Again, to any passerby, to anyone, that is incredible. And so, so the people react, right? And what can they say, right? Like, what could you say? Like, a great prophet has arisen among us. Of course, like, a, like wow. Like, you think? Uh, <laughs> like, God has visited his people. There was no other way to react. And of course, you know, there would be fear. How could there not be when such a powerful act happened? Like, if this truly happened and you were there... It's like there's reverence, there's power, and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like that's a little bit scary. <laughs> like, what else can you do? Um, all right, we'll put all that in the sort of what is uh, plainly obvious uh, part of the of the of the passage. Oh, I think that's uh, quiz time for the children. <laughs> okay, so children. Um, let's see my question. It is, how did Jesus raise the widow's son from the dead? Oh, right there. What's, what's the answer? By talking to him. That's right. <laughs> Which one would you like? All right. Make sure it's okay with your... That one may contain peanuts, so you should be careful. And if you want to switch it, we can afterwards. My daughter's allergic to peanuts, so I just... <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Let's take another pass at it. See what else we can find. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now that we have the, the basics in place, if you can even call these basics, we're going to read it again. So, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. 
And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Hopefully you're even like, as we read it again, hopefully you're seeing more, uh, more and more. So we're going we're gonna to jump in and, uh, and do a second pass. And I want to talk about the widow a little bit. And, uh, and what, what, why is that important? Why is the fact that she's a widow being called out? And I think, so widow is in one of God's protected people groups. So whether it's in Old Testament or Old Testament prophet and the New Testament, there's a very, very clear theme. Deuteronomy 10.18 says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Isaiah 1, verses 16 to 17 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Plead the widow's cause. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Widow, widows, orphans, the unprotected, they're protected by God. They are uh, very important to God. And, and as, as I think can be, can be plainly seen. And not only is she a widow, uh, but this was her only son. So basically, this lady has, has nothing left. And she needs Jesus. And so because Jesus is there and because Jesus is also with us, even though there is extreme pain and suffering, she still has everything she needs. Not to take away from the pain. She still has everything she needs. We still, no matter what, we still have everything we need. Again, not to take away from the pain, not, uh, not to take away from, from that, uh, that trouble and sort of misfortune, yet Jesus is there and that's everything ultimately that we need. And what does Jesus do? He has compassion for her. Compassion is one of those, those words like I say it and sometimes I think I need to be reminded of the definition and what it means. Uh, and so I looked it up just to, just to be on the same page. Like what compassion is, it's, it's this feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So Jesus was feeling compassion. He is compassionate. He has deep sympathy and sorrow for those that are in pain, for those that are stricken by misfortune. And he has the desire and the ability to heal that. Second Corinthians says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Jesus, and as God, is compassionate. He is comforting. And we see that. We see that here. Jesus um, cares about the widow and the orphan. And we plainly, and we see that here as well. Another part that isn't uh, 
sort of super obvious on the surface, but, but if you dig in a little bit, I, I, hopefully, uh, hopefully you, you'll, you'll see just the, the incredible nature of it. And actually, before I, before I jump into it, I'll say, look, I'm not a physician. In fact, I, like, I didn't do well in biology back in the day. Luke was a physician, though, right? So that's great. Jesus is the great physician. That's amazing. I just, like, I did some research on Wikipedia, and uh, so that's kind of that's where I'm at with my, with my biology, okay? But I'd encourage you to look into it further. Like, if you want to look into it further, don't believe, if you don't believe me when I talk about what actually happens to the human body after death, uh, you should dig into it, and, uh, you know, and if there are, there are issues, you know, we should definitely talk. But, but, so we already established, I wasn't trying to be morbid, but, like, we already established that her only son was dead. And we established that some hours would have passed since that the son's passing away. And what would have happened is that the body would, would have been entering what was called rigor mortis. Okay, so from what I understand, uh, this is what would have happened to the son in, in the hours that, that, um, that passed. So the heart stops pumping, right? Uh, the flow of blood around the body would have stopped. Uh, so the blood will coagulate, it forms clots, becomes thick and lumping, muscles stiffen. Uh, and stops breathing, and so no oxygen is getting anywhere, like to the brain, to the heart, to anything. There's blood clots. Things are just stiffening and breaking down. All the muscles, all of this happens within sort of two to six hours following death. Um, it starts with eyelids, neck, and jaw, and then, and then it kind of goes to other muscles, including all the internal organs, within the next four to six hours. So fairly quickly, there's sort of this internal degradation, degeneration that um, uh, that is... Uh, really hard, like, it's impossible to reverse, really, for, for any, any, any human, any modern medicine. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, our bodies are not like a car. Like, oh man, I haven't started my car in, you know, in five days, I'm going to put in the key and turn it, or like, I'm out of gas, so I'm going to tow the car over, you know, put gas in, or if you have a Tesla, I'm going to, you know, plug it in the charger, right? Uh, I'm going to replace the battery, turn the key, and like everything is kind of the same way it was before, and it just works. Like the human body doesn't work like that. Like it's meant for the, like the blood is meant to flow constantly. If it doesn't, things very quickly break down. Like there's no, uh, like things become extremely complicated, you know, minutes, and then like impossible to reverse, right? Unless, like unless you're Jesus. Because... What happens next is nothing short of breathtaking and astounding. So this corpse, this shell, received completely new life just through the power of Jesus' words. Jesus didn't just put in some gas and turn the key, right? Jesus renewed, he strengthened, he rejoined muscles. That's an import, those are imperfect pictures of what's like in our body. It's more complex than that, and that looks pretty complicated, right? So Jesus completely removed, replaced blood clots, um, any effects of the rigor mortis, he started the heart at the right time, brought the soul back to this only son uh, of, this, of this mother. Uh, you think about you know, oxygen not flowing to the brain, like that would have been hours, like, or, or, or maybe even more than that. Like all of that reversed to the mother's joy, to this widow's joy, and to the people's fear and reverence, Jesus gave completely new physical life. I really don't know how to emphasize it more. It's not like replacing a spare part. He didn't, you know, use modern medicine. He, like, redid it all. 
And he just did that through his word. Now, okay, we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because, you know, you compare that to the creation of the world, compared to the creation of humanity. We know in Genesis 1, it starts with, in the beginning, God. And these are like, quickly becoming my favorite verse in the Bible. Right? In, the be- in the beginning, God. Uh, he was there, and he created, right? So he's certainly capable of recreating a life. So let's not limit Jesus. But I'm just trying to say that what happened is astounding, right? Um, and uh, Genesis 1 itself is filled with and God said verses that are followed by the creation of our sky, earth, water, people, animals. And so, so Jesus can't, has done that before and can certainly do it. And this time, this time Jesus did not hide by what power he was doing this. Young man, I say to you, arise. It was by his own power. Jesus claims that work. He acts by his word, and that's how he does it, just like in creation. Jesus is showing, we talk about Luke's thing, like about who he is. Jesus is showing us who he is. He is God. And you see that the people are starting to somewhat, people like somewhat recognize the magnitude of what they've just experienced. In verse 16, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. This was, um, this was the first instance of this kind of miracle in Jesus' ministry. Meaning, so Jesus raised uh, three, uh, three people from the dead. Uh, this, was the, this was the first instance of that. Um, and so, so when people see this, they, at the very least, they knew, man, I know Elijah has done something like this in the past. I know Elisha has done something like this in the past. At the very least, we're in the presence of a great prophet. I said, they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. But the way Elijah did it and the way Elisha did it, it's just a little bit different. And, uh, and I want to read the account, both of these accounts. Um, and, uh, and so we'll do Elijah first. So Elijah in 1 Kings 17, verses 17 to 22, go like this. So this is, uh, this is the account of Elijah raising, you know, doing this kind of a miracle. But, but there is a key difference, and I, I, I hope you'll spot it. And if you don't spot it, I'll just tell you. So. <laughs> so after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Similarly, Elisha, a different account, it says, When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth. 
and, and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. In both of these cases, it was done by God's power. There was certainly no claim that either of these prophets, Elisha saying, oh yeah, I did that. Or, or Elijah or Elisha saying, yeah, no, that was all me. No, like it's obviously them asking, asking God and, and knowing that it's not by their, uh, by their power, but rather by, by God's power. Pretty amazing. Oh, one more candy. One more candy. Oh, let's see. Children. All right. All right. And this is actually the hardest one. So uh, uh, maybe it's not that hard. Okay. So <laughs> children, what is different about how Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead compared to how Elijah and Elisha were used to raise their, uh, those people from the dead? So what's the difference between how Jesus did it versus how prophets did it? Yeah. Physical touch. Physical touch. Not quite. But, I mean, in the right direction, but not, not quite. Ooh, this is a hard one. I like it. You have to really work for this. Yeah, Eli. So someone asked God and someone healed them. So that's what, so the, so the prophets asked God. That's right. But what's, what's different about Jesus, the way he did it? Maybe. I'll, gi- I'll give you guys one, one more chance, then I'm going to go to the adults, and the adults can get a candy. Ooh, Landon. Jesus did it himself. That's right. That's the biggest difference. Can you catch? Nice catch. <laughs> that was a hard, that's a hard question, you guys. But I'm glad you, I'm, the parents are like, oh man, I wasn't paying attention. What's the answer? <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to do uh, one more look. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the passage. Again, hopefully it, like, it takes more and more meaning as we read it, read it over again. But this is the last time we'll go through it. So, uh, it goes like this. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So I have, a, I have a question I'd love for you to answer, and it's rhetorical and there's no candy. But, uh, <laughs> but let me ask you, though. Actually, no, it's not a rhetorical question, but there's no candy. What did the son do to be raised from the dead? What did he do? Nothing. nothing. That's right. Like, the son did nothing. He was dead and, and is no longer. And so I want to draw the parallel here between our salvation from our sins and the resurrection of this man. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 say, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Much like the clotting and brokenness physically that happens when a person dies, so we are in our spiritual death. That's what death means. Like you're in this state that you can't help yourself. And how does one come out of this death? The same way that the son did. Jesus calls and we answer. In the same way that new physical life was brought in, which is nothing short of a miracle when you look at all the intricacies, the blood, the muscles, the brain, the soul, everything's renewed. So it is with our spiritual state in our relationship to God. And what does it take to bring us back to spiritual life? To fix us inside? Nothing short of a miracle. In the same way. This, whole, this is really the topic of what's called regeneration. And uh, that, that term, uh, I'll quote Wayne Gruden, but this is what regeneration is. Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. It's sometimes called being born again. Um, John 3, verses 3 to 8 say, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or or from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So of course we cannot choose to be born. It's done on our behalf. So regeneration is completely an act of God. We're dead in our sins and are there no longer. That is completely an act of Jesus. Our part, we, we play our part in confessing Jesus as Lord, but that actual act of restoring us, the actual act of regeneration, is only an act of God. Even Ezekiel says in the Old Testament, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Give you a new heart and new spirit I will put within you. We're looking at what it means to, you know, for this widow's son to be so degenerated inside there's new life in there likewise spiritually there's new life in us it's not just a band-aid it's new ezekiel continues uh, and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules so how then shall we live I love this question. How shall we live? This is like this is cause for for joy. Like as I was I was looking overall at um, I, man, I, I hope I didn't spend too much time on the sort of the, the funeral portions of it. And I think those are important to know where that comes from. But man, overall, this is cause for joy. Like it's cause for celebration. Jesus not only has power, that would be scary if it was just power. Right? But Jesus has compassion. Right? Like, he has both. He has power, he has compassion, and he's willing. And by the way, if you feel the tug of your heart on, on, on your heart, if you don't know what I'm talking about, when I say that Jesus puts new life into you and you want that, don't worry about sort of the finer points of theology. 
Right? Just, just know that Romans 10, 9 to 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's simple. It's free. It's by God's grace. It's not your work. It's God's work. Confess and you will be saved. For those that already know Jesus, I want to come back to something that actually Dave said last week. Are you growing more in dependence on God? Or are you growing more in self-sufficiency? I need this more or just as much as the next person. Like, to me, there's a good chance we need to ask God, much like the disciples did in Luke 17, increase our faith. Like, so I think I'm actually, I think I'm in that camp, honestly. I'm, I'm in that camp. There's uh, stress of life, fast pace of the Bay Area, intensity of any given day, and I don't, like, I don't ask God often enough to increase my faith and increase my dependence on Him. And for me personally, like, I think that's a big way I'm going to look to adjust my life, you know, tweak it as a result of this passage. Because when you look at, at the power and at what actually happened, how can you not do everything in your power to be closer to Jesus? And one thing that's tangible, it's like, okay, well, increase my faith. What, what does that look like? For me, one thing that, 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 that can be tangible, and I'll, I'll put that out to you, is just be praying more. For example, before you go into a next meeting, before you drive your children to school or anywhere, before coming home from work, before starting your day, before doing a mundane activity like what, like the dishes. Seniors, as you go through the summer, uh, pray for, uh, and as you go to college, um, many of you, as, as you look to you know, who your roommates are going to be, pray for them. As you look for opportunities in every class, as you walk into a class, as you study, man, Lord, be with me. What? Change my heart as you go through all of those things. Because whatever you're doing, remember, you're doing it for the one that gave you life, the one that gave you new life, the one that regenerated you, the one that did the impossible. And he did it because he has compassion, because he loves you, and he has the power to do so. So this event in history is a reason for us to celebrate. And I think it should leave us much like it did the widow and the son with lives forever changed. Just because we weren't there physically doesn't mean it shouldn't impact us the same. The life I have, the life you have, if, you've, uh, if Jesus is in your heart, has been renewed. It's a new life. And I need to live it for the one that gave it to me. It's his. It's on mine. Um, and I hope you'll do the same. I really do. So let me, let me pray with that. And I'll, invite the, I'll invite the band up. Jesus, um, Lord, F- Father God, we just were in awe at, uh, I'm in awe at, at, what, you, at what you did. Um, and it shouldn't be surprising because, because you created the world and you created us to begin with. But wow, is it amazing to, to read about it and just spend a little bit of time pausing uh, and trying our best to understand. Father, I pray that, um, that we would be thankful for what you've done. Uh, I pray that uh, we would be changed because of what you've done. Um, Father, I, I don't think you, you mean for us to be the same when, 
where you don't simply put a band-aid on our sin, but you renew and restore and start anew. And so I, I pray that our convictions in our lives would be new rather than small tweaks on how we used to live when we were in our sin. Um, and so we just, we thank you, and we thank you for your grace, for your compassion, we thank you for your power, um, and with that power, I pray that um, you would change us and help us to, to love you the way, that, uh, the way that you would have for us, Lord, that ultimately when we do see you, and we will, you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.